You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. In this episode, the second of this two-part series, we'll learn that being the primary family carer for someone who you've only recently met, someone who is beginning to suffer from dementia, and someone who has a very firm belief on living, was an unexpected experience for Eve Lamex and her husband Ricky when they moved to live in London. In this episode, we'll appreciate Tatiana's attitude to living and the importance of how to respect this, especially as Eve helps her navigate the English health system. And we'll also discover how this life choice has created emotional and career pressure for both Eve and Ricky. So when you met Sarah, were you all on the same wavelength around an understanding of, of where Tatiana was in her life and perhaps some of the decisions that needed to be made? I think Sarah was able to fill in such a piece of the puzzle that we didn't understand around Tatiana. She was able to give us the background that Tatiana couldn't tell us. So she was able, for example, I think a huge piece of the puzzle was to explain to us what happened when Tatiana's daughter, Judith, died, uh, which is that she I believe she died of cancer. She died very quickly. I think it was just a few weeks from diagnosis to uh, death. And that Tatiana completely shut down when this happened. Judith had kind of been her world. And when she passed, she could no longer function, basically. So she stopped answering the phone. She stopped returning letters. She stopped going to appointments. She stopped wanting to be alive, in essence. And so I think that understanding that helped us to understand more fully um, some of the, you know, some of the pieces around Tatiana's care, like her not wanting any life extending care and so on. And also to understand how she had reached a point where despite Sarah's best efforts, she hadn't uh, done simple things such as cataract surgery and so on that could have greatly increased her, her quality of life. So very much, I think we very much got on the same page quickly with Sarah uh, we were all, I think, very relieved that, um, just to give you a quick bit of context, what had happened with Tatiana is that she arrived, uh, Sarah arrived to see her and Tatiana had opened the door and collapsed and she had been starving. So where we had kind of thought, maybe she is eating. She keeps telling us she goes to shop every day. She takes out money. She buys food. No, that had not been happening. So um she very nearly uh, died and that's why she went into hospital. And some of the first things she said to us was, I'm going to have to go into a home, aren't I? 
And we said yes. So we didn't have a conflict. You, you know, Sarah was relieved. We were relieved. And Tatiana had said it herself. So there was happily no conflict around, um, around that. And we're all very much on the same page with Tatiana's, the, the basis, the core kind of basis of what we need to do with Tatiana's care, which is that we need to advocate and uphold her like her decisions around her care, which is not to receive this life extending care. So being on the same page with that, sometimes there's things that we kind of don't fully maybe agree on, you know, that's life and that's humans, but we're all on the same basis with that primary, most important thing. So I think we have a lot of appreciation for each other because of that. At that point in time, and you explained the relationship she had with the daughter and, and what happened when her daughter passed and, and the perhaps a lack of attention to her own life at that point was at any stage was she proactively vocal about this is all too much I just want it to end yeah so very much so and in fact when we were in hospital that first time when she had nearly starved starved to death which is horrible she was so vocal about it that the doctors actually had a psychiatrist evaluate her because they thought she might be a suicide risk so incredibly vocal about it incredibly vocal about you know I'm I'm done so when the psychiatrist evaluated her when she was in in hospital at that point I was I was there with her that day and there was an older woman in the bed across from us there was an elderly lady and there was an older woman with her mum and she'd just been helping me a bit with bits and pieces and tips and so on because of course I I was so fresh to all of this I really didn't know what to do you know so thank goodness for her she was just giving me these little tips and hints and when um, the psychiatrist came she said to me "Uh, Eve listen you just might want to stay in the room. You just might want to hear what's being said. So just why don't you go and wash your hands over there and just kind of listen in. And normally I would think that's such a breach of confidence, but given that I've now, we're seven years later and this has been a key piece of how I've been able to advocate for Tatiana, I'm so glad that I did. And she said to the she said to the psychiatrist, you know, I want to go to Switzerland. Like, can you arrange me to go to Switzerland, the clinic there, obviously talking about Dignitas, they're the um, euthanasia clinic in Switzerland. And can you, I want to end my life. Can you please organize this for me? And the psychiatrist was like, well, no, we can't, (laughs) we can't do that. But she spoke to me afterwards. There was was actually two of them. And she spoke to me afterwards and she said, you know, we can't organise something like that. It's against the law in the UK for us to do that. But if that was something that we were able to organise, I would honestly find her legally competent to make that decision. So given that she was so clear about that, I think that evening or around that time, she also said to me, um, Tatiana did she said you know when you're so 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 exhausted and you get to the end of the day and you have a hot bath and then all you want to do is go to sleep and she said to me that's how I feel but I don't want to wake up and I thought do you know what fair enough <laughs> fair enough do you know like fair enough like so I've always felt that from that experience you know and following that you know she always actually refused medication she, she would the doctors would give her medication she would refuse to take it so and she arranged quite quickly with her GP a care plan when she was in the home that said that she was not 
uh, to receive any life-extending uh, medication, etc. So she's been incredibly vocal about it for herself. Unfortunately, as the dementia goes on, she's less able to do that, and that's where we have to step in for her. Fascinating to think that that was you know, seven years ago. I know. And it seems like such a defining moment and a defining moment where you probably could have thought, well, there is this will to end it all. And even if she was incapable of physically doing it, mm-hmm. you know, mentally coming to a realisation that it was time to, to, to leave this world may mm-hmm. have happened. But seven years on, still alive. You must have had some incredible ups and downs during the last seven years. And I'd be interested to know whether her outlook toward life has changed at any time during that that seven years. It's so crazy that it's been seven years. And in a way, it feels incredibly ironic because I think there's people who are suffering from illness and so on who have a real will to live, you know, and they don't necessarily have that option. And so for Tatiana to be so, to not have that will, (laughs) to be so clear about what she wants. And she turns 99 in March. So in like six weeks, she turns 99. And you just think, how has this happened? But yeah, definitely um, ups and downs with it. I think. As the dementia progresses, she's less able to fully understand when people are, like what people are doing for her. She's less able to question things. She's less able to say, what is this and why are you giving it to me? And she's more likely to kind of take things if they're provided. So I I don't think it's a shift in how she feels about life because if if we visit her and if she's in a bad mood, she'll definitely still tell us, you know, I'm so sick of this. I'm so tired. I just want to be allowed to to go. And she actually asks us, like, will you help me? And that is probably, it's a, it's a huge theme if we visit and she's in a bad mood, but it's something that comes up almost every time we visit. So she's still very clear that she's done. But I think part of that ability to actually stop people from treating her that has kind of gone, if that makes sense. She's a little less able to stand up for herself in that regard, which I don't feel points to a change in attitude, more a change in capability. Now, this is a little bit of a personal question, but I'm, you know, the the dynamic of your relationship with your husband and the pressure that mm-hmm. this has has put on that. I wonder in that seven years, and you know, I guess you can reflect back now because you know you mm-hmm. certainly probably didn't think when you went to London that in seven years' <laughs> time you'd have a uh, an incredible story of care for somebody yeah. that obviously has become very close to you. Yes. But how how did that impact one on you know the relationship with your husband, and two on the actual aspirations that you both had collectively of living this corporate life of and being Mm -hmm. having the freedom of being able to you know build your careers and then you know move whenever you wanted to and and Mm -hmm. perhaps change cities that you worked in and all those things how how does that impact it on on those goals well a lot really and I think that we're coming to a point of being able to have a lot more acceptance seven years later but I think in the first year or so the first year or two probably I don't think I mean speaking for myself I didn't have any real acceptance about what was happening so I was still booking trips I was still planning um, holidays I was still trying to do both you know I have my very busy construction 
career kind of working you know usually you know working in 50 to 60 hours a week looking after Tatiana and doing what we had to do for her and still trying to travel and I think in that first year we ended up cancelling something like four trips that we just realized that we couldn't go for one reason or another because something had come up with Tatiana so it took you know that's quite expensive like to have to to have to do that it's quite expensive experience and a lot of frustration involved so I think it's been a long road to acceptance and it's probably still an ongoing like an ongoing journey to really feel acceptance I think definitely around the adventure piece is what I find really challenging and also for our relationship it's very very testing to care for someone and it really was very testing for us but I think as it comes out, like as, I don't know how to explain it, but it's that thing of things coming out in the wash. Do you know what I mean? As it unfolds, I guess you could say, um, I'm starting to feel more and more like this is what we're meant to be here to do. And to be in a relationship with someone who has the same kind of family values and the same care values as you do and wouldn't ever let her just down and, and kind of leave her to the system, which is very broken. I believe overall it's something that's really strengthened our relationship but came very close to breaking it in truth in the early years. You just mentioned the system as well. In a new country and you're having to deal with the bureaucracy of the health system now, Mm -hmm. you know, that notoriously across all Western worlds they're um, different and can be challenging. That must have been an experience or you must have had a number of experiences that were probably some good and some horrendous. Definitely. And that's been very much how it's been is there have been experiences that have been wonderful experiences of really seeing so much care and love, you know, for Tatiana. And there have been experiences that have just been truly shocking. And you think, how can this happen in a first world country you know like how can this be happening so unfortunately in the UK we have a a system that's been chronically underfunded for years particularly the social care in the community which means that there's I think they said currently the last time I read this figure was a few weeks ago but it was something like 12,000 beds were occupied by people who were not able to be released into the community because there wasn't enough community care so they were medically fit to be released but they couldn't be released for this reason which means that the hospitals are overburdened and it comes all the way back through to emergency care which is in crisis in the UK at the moment so I think the average at the moment for an ambulance for stroke and heart attack victims is 90 minutes. That's how that's your call out time. So there's like 300 people dying a week from urgent care um, delays. And it's a scary, yeah, it's a scary system to be involved with. I think what is so clear is that despite there's so many good people working in the system, but despite their kind of best efforts, the system itself is broken. So there's only so much they can do and as an individual as a family member as next of kin you have to be so prepared to show up and advocate for that person and to fill the gaps of which unfortunately there are many now i understand you've had a recent experience where you've had to do that that's right on boxing day Actually, I feel like I need to give you a bit of context for this one too, because this is just timing again, the serendipitous thing that just constantly happens with Tatiana. So we had had this kind of, 
it's the adventure again. We had this plan we've been working towards for three years and we said, we're going on an adventure. And we'd been learning French. We had built a business and we were prepared to go and live and getting prepared to go and live in the Pyrenees. And we'd had kind of three years of Tatiana not being in hospital at all. um, And we kind of looked into it and figured that we can come back and visit her regularly and that she seems to be fine in the home and we're pretty comfortable with where she's at. So let's not put our life on hold forever. It's been seven years. Let's go and have our adventure. So in December, I got, I took voluntary redundancy. Ricky put in his notice at his job. And we put in our notice on our flat and we were kind of saying, all right, between Christmas and New Year's, we're going to plan everything for France, but we've got our date that we're leaving. We're ready to go. And so we kind of put our life down, packed it away in London to an extent, like we were ready to go. And we hadn't started the French part yet, you know, the organizing. And then on Boxing Day, we got the call that uh, Tatiana had high blood pressure and chest pain and an ambulance had been called and we'd better kind of get to the hospital. So, yeah, that was crazy with the timing. And so we obviously rushed to the hospital. Only one person at a time is allowed in at the moment but because of COVID still and because of kind of the chaos, I guess. And that was me because I'm the kind of the primary caregiving person in this, you know, in this relationship that we have. And to be honest, it was a little bit shocking to kind of see inside what's happening in A&E at the moment. That time of the year wouldn't have helped either. What did you experience there? You know, was, was it just about it took a long time or was there obvious challenges to actually just getting the real care that was needed? Yeah, so basically when I arrived, Tatiana was on a trolley in the corridor which is to say that they hadn't found a bed for her and it took about four hours for them to find a bed so she was on a trolley in the corridor kind of just in front of like the nurses and doctors stations so people were all around people rushing to and fro and she was there with an ambulance crew not her ambulance crew who had left but an ambulance crew she'd been handed over to in the UK you can't leave until your patient finds a bed so we actually got to the point where there was like eight ambulance staff waiting for their patients to find beds so that's obviously eight ambulance staff that couldn't leave and so we were kind of in that area with the ambulance crew there were there were like exhausted ambulance crew just sitting on the ground just kind of waiting with us for hours seems absolutely nuts and Tatiana would have the doctor would kind of come and see her in a side room quickly and then push her back out on the trolley and I guess what was challenging about that is there's no real you can't kind of have dignity of care when someone's in a trolley in a corridor do you know what I mean she'd been sent from the care home just in a nightie she didn't have trousers on or anything it was very hot in there but I didn't feel that I could keep her dignified in that kind of space she spilt one of the ambulance crew gave her a glass of water and she kind of spilt it all down her nightdress and I couldn't change her. So it's just not an environment where it feels that people can get just the care and dignity that they need to, that you'd hope that you can get in that environment. We were in and out in six hours, which honestly is amazing. The ambulance crew that took us home were just saying, how did you manage that? The care home was saying, how did you manage that? It was so quick. And that's because as soon as we got in with the doctor, I said to him, here's her copy of her care plan, which I always keep. 
and which you know I have my own copy and I say here's her copy she doesn't want any care please can we go home (laughs) you know she doesn't want to be here and then in that situation Tatiana although she couldn't say that and although she couldn't actually hear anything the doctor was saying to her she's kind of said to him are you done poking and prodding me okay what are you doing now and she's getting very grumpy with him and she said he said to me she doesn't want to be here does she and I said she really doesn't and she really shouldn't be said why is the care home calling an ambulance and I said I think they just don't know what to do when these kind of things happen you know they're just not they don't have the nurses in house etc etc so yeah, really feel for the staff. All the staff are amazing, but quite an eye-opening um, and challenging experience. So just as we wind up your time on Max's Island and we try to digest this incredible story and this journey that you've had, I need to ask you, what about France? Where's that dream? <laughs> what about France? <laughs> okay, yeah, good question. So France will happen, but it's not for now. So the most incredible thing about that Boxing Day was Tatiana, who most of the time doesn't actually know who I am, but is always happy to see me. There's definitely a familiarity, but she can't place me. She was incredibly sweet uh, in ways that make me wonder if she actually knew who, you know, thought I was someone else. Um, But she was saying things to me like, I don't need any treasure in this world. You're my treasure. And she was kind of saying, um, you know, I I can't believe how lucky I am that you're here with me. I never could have done this without you. And then she was saying to me, you're not going to move overseas, are you? (laughs) And... (laughs) Not something that I've ever said to her or that I would expect that she would retain if I did. And she would say, you're not going anywhere, are you? You won't move to another country. And I was just saying to her, kind of biting my lip a little bit, you know, a little bit clenching my teeth and saying, no, (laughs) I'm not going to move to another country. Because the realisation was if we couldn't get to hospital so quickly to stop treatment, what would happen is what has happened before, which is that they would start treatment and they've saved her life in a hospital in the time that we've been a part of her journey. And unfortunately that's for her, not a positive. It just leads to more, you know, more suffering. So the very next day got up, had a coffee, sat down with my husband to debrief. We kind of looked at each other and I said, I don't think we can go to France. And he said, we can't go to France. So we were on the same page immediately, which was great. And I messaged Sarah Uh, the friend of Tatiana's our family friend and I said to her this is what's happening I'd obviously been messaging her the day before and I said she said to me why don't you come to Bristol and we kind of talked about it and you know she said you guys go to France bring Tatiana to Bristol sorry to give you the context there we realized that we need to move her into a care home Uh, with nursing facilities so that she can be cared for in the house and they're not calling an ambulance etc and we're not having to go through um, this kind of experience with her so when we spoke to to Sarah about that she said why don't you bring her to Bristol and then you know you guys can go to France and we thought about that but we didn't actually feel right just doing that so we made the decision we're all moving to Bristol as a family unit the three of us we'll find a nursing home there for Tatiana and we're going to have the extra support and care from Sarah 
and yeah so that's the long story about what's happening to France it's on the back burner but listen we're only in our mid-30s we've got plenty of adventures to come and I'm kind of relieved that we're going to see this out properly. Eve thanks so much for sharing being so open it's an incredible story Tatiana is so lucky to have had you and your husband and Sarah in her life yeah she's approaching 99 Mm-hmm. I'm sure she will continue to provide you with the, the love and inspiration to keep going. But I, I really appreciate you sharing not only your experiences, but also some of the emotions that you and your husband and, and Sarah have faced. And thanks so much for being on the island. Thanks, Tony. Much appreciated. Thank you for letting me tell my story. On the way home from work, he was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur, all work and no play. And how, how had it turned out this way? He told me his plan, a short-term escape, five weeks on the Bibbulmun track. Go it alone, no one to blame. sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky, completely alone, no emails or phone, 